All right. So before we get into chapter 13, um, which is in many ways, like parts of the book, very dark, we always have to look at it in context. So give somebody give me or a couple of you give me some summary things that we've talked about in terms of who the book's being written to, what's the setting, and what the first couple chapters are about. Just throw out any facts you remember, any ideas. Who's our author? St. John. St. John, right? And he's writing this while he's under a form of persecution. He's under house arrest. He's exiled to the island of Patmos. And while he's there, he says on the Lord's Day, he got a vision. And he wrote down the vision. So remember in that first chapter, we had that vision of the one who was like a son of man, very powerful. And then we had the letters to the churches. And what was the, in general, what was the message to the churches, if you all remember? He was finding out what they were doing wrong. Yeah, he was saying that he understands that, you know, it's a difficult time, but you got to stay faithful. Don't be deceived. Don't get lazy. Remember your first love. So everything that we're going to read, we have to read it in the context of he gave that message to those churches. Good morning, Maria. I'm sorry. My internet was down every day. Comcast. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Every day. That's why some people say Comcast is the Antichrist, but we won't say that. We, <laughs> Sorry, we Father. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. We're just getting started, so you're fine. We're in chapter 13, and we're just giving some context because if we, if we take this chapter out of context, we're going to get the wrong message. Just like if you picked up a book and you picked up in the middle and you forget the first part, you, you learn the wrong things. So... The context of all of this is that this is a vision of what's going to take place. I think it says soon hereafter in one of those early chapters. And it follows that sort of warning and admonition that St. John, or that Christ through the hand of St. John, gives to the churches, the seven churches in, in Asia Minor. And overall, the message is stay faithful. Stay faithful, stay faithful. Because if you do, you'll be rewarded. Different, different promises. You receive the crown of life, different things like that. So the, the, the point is stay faithful, especially when it's difficult. All right, so that's the context. The immediate context before chapter 13 is chapter 12, which was the woman and the dragon. Remember that? What, and what was the dragon trying to do? trying to hurt the woman yeah and what else about and who else i should say and the, ba and the baby and the child born of the woman who was there he wanted to devour the child the child was snatched away and he failed right and then in the middle of those a couple things i want to make sure that that we remember one is um Chapter 12, verse 9. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. Remember that phrase today. The deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. 
So before we get to the two beasts, which we're going to hear their connection to the dragon, remember that the dragon enters this world by defeat. Okay? He's entering with power. He's entering by defeat. Was and there then, a... Um, can you that? hear me? Yes. Is, is the dragon a fictional um, animal or... Are there were there truly dragons as we know them today, back years ago? It, it's hard to say. We really don't. I mean, when we hear dragon, most of us conjure up images from books or even more commonly now movies and TV shows. And we have a very specific image of a dragon. All right. Um, large beast, fire breathing, big claws. It, it's sort of modern literature has kind of solidified an image of a dragon. The word is an ancient word. And the question is, what does it refer to? And that's what we really, we can't answer the question. We can't go back in time. For example, um, I was gonna mention this later, but we'll mention it now. We often know in the church of St. George as defeating the dragon, mm -hmm. right? We have that icon of him with the spear and that serpent-like creature is, is about to get killed. Um, the story is that St. George um, was a soldier, and in that area, there was a dragon, some kind of great beast, that was threatening the princess of the town, or and threatening the town, and that St. George came along and he slew the dragon. So one question is, was it an actual beast? And the question you're asking is, what beast would it have been? Some people say, you know, it was like a Komodo dragon. If you go to the zoo, you see the Komodo dragon, kind of looks like an alligator. Was it that kind of beast? We don't know that those kind of animals lived in that area, but it's possible. Maybe 2,000 years ago and longer, those kind of animals were there. They're not there now, but doesn't mean that they weren't then. But as far as we know, they weren't. So then the question is, if it wasn't a real animal, what was it? And this is where... Thankfully, um, St. John tells us very clearly who the dragon is, because he's not going to really identify the beast as clearly. But the dragon, he says right here, um, in chapter 12, verse 9, And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. So we know who this beast is, or this dragon, sorry, um, but we don't know if there were actually dragons back then. But that question, though, about a dragon, is the true story that St. George slew the dragon an actual beast that lived then, some kind of creature? Or is it symbolic to say that St. George conquered the beast, conquered the dragon, the devil, by his faithfulness to Christ? Because what we know historically, um, and I just learned this recently in the last year or two, that as the Romans were killing more and more Christians, the more Christians they killed, the more Christians they made. People were inspired by the, by the witness of the martyrs. And so you have this roughly 300-year period that has, it wasn't constant killing of Christians. It came in waves depending on who the emperor was at the time and their priorities. And some of them were very, very devastating, where they tried to wipe out all the Christians, never were able to do it. But the martyrdom of St. George 
and the martyrdom of St. Catherine were around the same time, within a couple decades of each other, maybe even shorter, I can't remember exactly. And it's, it's sort of, uh, we sort of put together now that that happened, and within, I think, 10 or 20 years, the Roman Empire will, will go officially from paganism to no religion, no official religion, to very soon making Christianity the official religion of the empire. So the, the question is, did, did St. George kill a, an animal that was a dragon, or called a dragon, or did he slay the paganism of the Roman Empire? Because as we're going to see, uh, this dragon is going to take the form of a very mighty earthly power, which we're going to assume to some degree is Rome, but we'll get to that in a little bit. But I wanted you to hear that the dragon enters the scene by defeat, that he is identified as the devil, um, and that he's the deceiver of the whole world. That's going to become very important for us to understand uh, who these beasts are. All right. So Linda's hiding from us at the moment. <laughs> so we need somebody to read. Oh, did we lose Maria? She's still here. Let's see. Looks like we lost Maria. Comcast. <laughs> if somebody would read for us, we'll read a big section here. Uh, chapter 13, verses 1 through 10. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads, with ten crowns on its horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. <clears throat> People worshiped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshiped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise its authority for 42 months. We've heard that before, haven't we? Yep, 42 yeah. months. Yep. It opened its mouth to blasphemy God, to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. It was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. All those names have not been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. All whose names have not been written in the Lamb's Book of Life the lamb who was slain in the creation of the world. Whoever has ears, let him hear. That came from Revelations, that quote? Well, John is quoting it, which is interesting, because that's what Jesus would always yeah. say. When he was about yeah. to say something he wanted them to particularly pay attention to. Okay. Yeah. If anyone is to go into captivity... 
into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword they will be killed. This calls for patience, endurance, and faithfulness on the part of God's people. All right. So it's a big chunk and very scary sounding, but once we look at it closer, I think you can read it's not necessarily as scary as it seems. Um, before we get into the, the beast in general, I want to take a step back and talk about kingship. All right, so some of you are, are fans of history and literature. What's the relationship between a king and a kingdom? Is a kingdom new with every king or queen? No. No. So what's that relationship? Well, as kings change, the relationship would change depending on, you know, the person. But the, the kingdom doesn't change. No, right. Okay. And that's one thing I wanted to, to express because when you talk about there's a beast that has seven heads, again, don't think just figuratively. This is not a movie. Um, he's trying to describe something. A head, and we know these heads wore crowns, diadems or crowns, depending on what your translation says. So it already identifies these heads with a particular ruler. All right, if you think about, for example, the uh, Great Britain, the crown moves on because the crown represents the continuity. And so you can coronate a king or a queen. Um, that's the literal word literally means putting on the crown, coronation, the corona, the crown. But the rule doesn't stop and start, it just gets passed on. Right? So one of the things we're going to, when we try to figure out who this beast is, which by the way, we're never going to know exactly. It doesn't really ever identify with complete, but we're going to put some qualities to it and draw some conclusions or at least some, some educated guesses. But one beast that has seven heads, one of the understandings is that this is a, a power and that power uh, ends up being exhibited in different personality. Think about a head. A head is the most identifying feature of a person. Their face, their hair, their eyes. So a head identifies somebody. So there's going to be seven leaders. That's what a head does. A head, we say things, you head it up. It leads. Um, it's not, again, it's not, don't think it's, well, it's gross because it has seven heads. Think about it and what it what means. There were seven heads of this one beast, and so it didn't, the beast didn't change, the head, there were different periods of it. Um, but isn't a kingship, um, when that kingdom began, and they created the kingdom with a king, that continuity is all one family. Correct. It's all. Correct, um, which is why we okay. see this beast, that has seven heads, you might see, well, this one came and went, and this one came and went, but it's one beast. But we know that it's going to have, in some ways, seven heads. 
Now, does it actually have seven numerically? Some people would argue that's a yes. Some would argue that's that number of completeness, that it's going to be something that will run its course and be complete. And so we don't really, again, don't have a, uh, an answer. Although we also have said that seven is a totality number, not only earthly totality, the four, the four winds, the four corners of the world, or the three of that completeness, the divine completeness, you put together, you get seven. But one of the things we're going to make, it's going to be made very clear to us is the, this beast and the one coming after it are going to have divine-like qualities. They're going to appear to be something like the divine uh, qualities of God. But, we're told back in chapter 12, Satan, that the dragon, which we see here in verse 2, says, and to it the dragon gave his power. So the power of this beast comes from the dragon, right? And how did the dragon enter the world? One more time, I want to make sure we all get this. How did the dragon enter the, enter the world, the earth? Dead. He's already defeated. Defeated, okay. So he's, de he's defeated, cast down to the earth, and that's the power he has. He's a defeated creature, now given power for a time, limited time, as we're going to see. Is that the angel Lucifer now? Is he exactly. Still... Now he's the dragon. He that's the dragon. Well, the dragon is, going back to chapter 12, the dragon is the devil and Satan. So okay. he identifies so very he, clearly. He, he was an angel, and now he's exactly. devil, Satan, and a dragon. Okay. Exactly. So um, it's going to be important for us to understand that even though we're not going to really get a clear indication of who the beast is or the next beast, we're going to know what they are very clearly. And so we're going to know what to be careful of because we know the qualities to be careful of. Identifying the person, if it was important, it would be told us. It's not. And so we can just say, all right, what's important is how they operate, what they do, what they look like. Okay. Um, I mentioned that one of the qualities of this beast, the fact that it has seven heads, um, is that it's going to look like a divine creature. And even to the point of one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. Where did we hear that before? Remember the lamb? Let's go back. So this is really important we remember this one. Um, Chapter 5, verse 6.
And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So from chapter 5 on through, I think, 11, we were hearing about the the scroll. Remember the seals being un, un, uh, mm -hmm. opened, And who's opening the scroll was the lamb. Because the lamb was found worthy to open the scroll. And this lamb had, uh, as though it had been slain, but it's still alive, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. So it's interesting. It's one ruler, one head, but it has seven horns. And horns are power. Horns are, are strength. Um, so the lamb, which we've identified as Christ, he was killed and yet he's alive. Now we're going to hear that one of the heads of this beast seemed to have a mortal wound. Was that supposed to be the lamb? No, but it's like the lamb. Like the lamb. It's an imposter. Oh. Uh-oh. Uh -huh. Okay. And let me give you one of the explanations on what this might mean. Um, this is Victorinus. We heard from him a lot. One of its heads was mortally wounded, but its mortal wound was healed. He is referring here to Nero. For it is a well-known fact that when the army sent by the Senate was following him, he cut his own throat, and he is the one whom, when he has been brought to life again, God will send as a king worthy of those who are worthy of his name, namely the Jews and all those who persecute Christ. He will send him as a Christ, such as the persecutors and the Jews deserve. In other words, he's identifying one of these heads with Emperor Nero, who we know was one of the persecutors of the Christians. Remember, he, he actually started a fire in Rome, and then he blamed the Christians, said that they had started it. And we'll come back to, to Nero soon. soon. But uh, um, So if that's the case, if Victorinus is right, then one of the explanations for this beast is that it's referring to one beast but has seven heads, seven emperors. Now, is that the seven emperors that were up until the time of, of John's writing? Is it that there were seven that were the persecutors? We don't really know. It's just one idea of what this might mean. But, but the, the lamb thing is, it's an imposter. He looks like a Christ figure. He's been killed, and yet he lives. What was that, Alan? But, but it says the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes. Right. So where did they, I mean. So how, a horn, how think about they... a horn in the animal kingdom. Horn is power. I've been reading um, James Michener's Centennial. You ever heard of the book Centennial? All right. So it traces the whole history of this town in Colorado. Anyway, he has a whole chapter on bison. <laughs> and he goes page after page about the bison and their horns and fighting each other. So a horn is is the thing that you uh, that you have that 
uh, establishes your dominance. And protects you. Exactly. Protects you, but also you're, the one with the powerful horn defeats the one with the weaker horn or with no horn. Yeah, that's why it protects you. That's, exactly. that's what I meant. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But 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 how does the lamb have seven horns? So do lambs normally don't have seven horns, right? Right. Um and forget the fact again, don't think of the picture of it. That would be a grotesque thing. But if a lamb had a horn, he'd be powerful. This lamb has seven. The complete divine created number. Okay, yeah. Okay. So he has he complete a, power. But I, I'm getting off the subject here a second, but yeah. This is a this is a topic for another day. But how did we make sense of all these numbers throughout the history of of before Christ and after Christ? And like the years you mean? Oh no! Three is for this. Four is for this. Seven oh is for oh this. yeah yeah. Seven. Where did the Hulk that? That's just. I'll have that conversation another time. Just that's okay. Go, hear all I, these numbers. Yeah, and early on, it, it might have been the first session we went through through the numbers, most of the keywords. Right. But briefly, um, the it's the numbers. There's there's two sources how we we find out what they mean. One is what they mean practically universally. And the example we used for three, we could say, oh, three of the Trinity. As Christians, we know that the Trinity of the fullness of God. But beyond that very de defined idea within Christianity, or Orthodox Christianity, I should say, um, if you want to start a race, how do you start the race? Then your mind is set, go, one, set, two, three. No. You need three, right? If I say... On your marks, go. You're wait a minute. That wasn't enough. So three, there is a a a natural fullness of three. One of the Psalms says that a cord of three knots or three strands is not easily broken. There's a fullness and a completeness in three that's beyond the specific theology of, of Christianity. So you're gonna have two sources. One, how the number's been used. In the story itself, in this story, we're going to call the whole Bible. So the story is going on, and these numbers are used throughout the scriptures. For example, 12. Outside of the Bible, it's hard to really say what is 12. Well, you could say a year. There is an idea of something that governs time. Perhaps you could use that, but not, not all calendars were based on 12s, but you could. I mean, the cycle of the moon. That's one explanation. But in the story of the Bible, where do we hear 12? There's two main ones where we hear 12. 12 apostles. Okay, that's the new one. What's the old one? Oh, the 12 tribes. Exactly, the 12 tribes of Israel. So we know from this story, which we're reading, the scriptures, that 12 is a number that represents the community that God calls. So when we get to the scene, I think it was chapter three or four, and you have the 24 elders, if you haven't read the rest with the previous story, you go, what's 24? I don't know what that means. Maybe it's two years. I don't know. We're not sure. But from the story, we know, oh, 12. 12 tribes, 12 apostles, 
That's the totality of the Old and New Testaments together. The people of God. So again, you get the number from the story. Um, some natural sources, but also within the story. But if you want to hear the rest, go back to that. I think it was the first session. We went through 3, 4, 7, 12, yeah. 10. Yeah. And 42, you, you, you caught that. We've heard 42 before. Remember what it was? Yeah, I do. I just um, we talked about seven years as a time of completeness. It's uh, three and a half. Three years. and a half years. It's the halfway point. And we've talked about this a little bit before. We can say a little more about it now. Halfway points are really hard. Um, in the spiritual instructions, one of the most challenging times spiritually is when um, what the fathers called the demon of noonday. Now, noonday for us in the modern world, we're not all up at dawn. Some of us are up at dawn, but not everybody's up at dawn. Um, and people, if they're up at dawn, typically they're going to bed a little after sunset. You're not going to spend a lot of money burning candles and oil. You're going to get up around dawn. You're going to live your, your day. And then around sunset or a little bit thereafter, you're going to go to sleep. So the midday or the demon of noonday is that halfway through the day you have that sense of it's been a long day so far and boy i have the same amount of time to come so there's that tension of noonday the halfway point is a point of tension because you've come a long way but you can't say i've come a long way and i only have one mile to go you're riding a seven miles on your bike or you're walking seven miles you get to mile six, you go, okay, I'm almost there. But at mile three and a half, you're like, well, that was a long trip, and I have the same amount of time to go. So there's a tension, um, almost a fear of what is still to come. It's also halfway through that divine, earthly combination of totality of seven. And so some, let me read you this, I'm going to read it later, I'm going to read it now. Um, here we go. Um, this is Caesareus. The 42 months are to be interpreted as the time of the last persecution. It opened its mouth to bless him against God. It is clear this refers to those who have left the Catholic Church, while earlier they seemed to be within the church as though they held the right faith. But in time of persecution, they openly blessed God with the mouth. Actually, that's not the one I wanted to read, but. Um, where is it? Here we go. Actually, before I go on, I, would, I wasn't going to read that part, but since I read it, it's interesting that he's identifying persecution and specifically those who will leave the faith because of it. And they will do what? They will blaspheme, blaspheme God. So already, Caesarea is here, it's talking about these, these times of difficulty. It's not just physical. It's not just there's going to be physical persecution. All of the commentators, even if they acknowledge that there is something physical, the really important part of it is the spiritual. And connect that back to what we said about the context, especially the, the letters of in churches, 
the warning is not about physical. Yeah, you're going to suffer physically, but the point is to say that's not the important part. The important part is don't blaspheme. Don't give in. Don't uh, leave even though you're going to be persecuted. Because if you do that, you think you're saving yourself, and what are you doing? You're joining the forces of the dragon, and now we're going to add to that the forces of the beast, who gets his power from the dragon, who looks very powerful, right? Seven heads, ten horns, all this stuff. But we know, to get within the story, they're going to be defeated. Even before we read into the story, we know because they came from defeat. Linda, you had a question? I have a question. Yeah. If he came from defeat, he knows he's going to be defeated. Why does he keep trying? Um, where, let me and see. How, we, we, we heard this much, recently. How much power does he have to give to the beast anyway? The only power he's given is the power that people give to him. In other words, you can resist. The whole point is resist the power, and he has no power over you. Now, that doesn't mean he's not going to kill you, but it means in the real scope of what Revelation is concerned with, which is the heavenly kingdom, if he kills you, beautiful, where are you? Go back to the early chapters. You're among the martyrs under the altar. You're already in heaven. You're just waiting for the end to come. So remember the perspective that, that physical earthly harm is not the important thing. In fact, the people that make that mistake make the mistake of joining the wrong side because they're going to be defeated. You want to be on the side. For example, if, if I said to you, uh, well, I can't use Michigan, Michigan state. You're too loyal. <laughs> um, Iowa and Iowa state are going to play a game and neither of you care about either school. Uh, Iowa is going to be leading at the half, but Iowa state's going to win the game. And you get to bet money. And I've already told you the result. Are you going to bet on the one that's leading at the half or the one that wins the game? Um, that wins the game. Okay. And that's the idea, that there's going to be those that lead, and this worked out good for the example, at the half, three and a half years in. You're going to look like, this one looks like they're always going to win. Remember, let me go back and read this. Um, Verse, uh, verse 4, men worshiped the, the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? So he looks invincible. Who can fight against it? Well, nobody. You can't beat the beast because he looks all-powerful. But again, it's always going to say, this is what it looks like, this is what it is. That him at the end, if anyone has an ear to hear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for what? Verse 9. Oh, sorry, verse 10. Here's a call for somebody? Come to set for salvation. Go to verse, verse 10. 
Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. So in other words, if you're going to be taken captive, off you go. If you're going to be slain, with the sword, you're going to be slain. It looks like defeat, but what is it? It's a call for endurance and faith. And I want to go back to verse 7. This is very interesting. So the beast opened its mouth, utters blasphemies. It was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. Now, do any of your Bibles have a footnote there? Because mine does. I've got a little symbol, and you look to the bottom, and what's the symbol? And it says, other ancient authorities omit this sentence. So we think about the Bible as there's one version of it. The reality is, every time you had a text of any book of the Bible, you had versions, and then they were slightly different. Sometimes a word was there, sometimes it was slightly different. Here's one where some of the manuscripts would have that sentence, and some would not. Why do you think some of them may not have the sentence, he was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them? Why do you think that might have been omitted in some of the manuscripts? Well, we think of the saints, you know, people who have died and are now saints, as having conquered. Right. And so you could see where in some of the manuscripts, the, the writer might say, that's confusing. Yeah, right. If he's able to make war on the saints and conquer them, mm -hmm. that seems to go against the message. And so some might have admitted it. We're going to say that if it's in there, if they conquer the saints, if the beast conquers the saints, he's only conquering them in an earthly sense. Mm -hmm. So that's why some manuscripts will let it stay. Uh, let's see. A couple other things. Where is the beast coming out of? Verse 1. Sand of the sea. The sea. The sea. Water. Okay. The water. And we'll skip ahead for a second. Um, if you look at verse 11, which we may get to there, we probably won't get to it, but anyway, um, then there's gonna be another beast coming, and this one comes from where? The earth. The earth comes out of the earth. So, you're gonna have two beasts, one from the sea, one from the earth. What's the meaning? Where can you go Did to hide? Nowhere. Nowhere. <laughs> no hiding. And and originally they came from the sky. <laughs> they fell from the, heaven. The dragon did, yes. But the, the dragon one. gave its power to the beast. Yeah. One beast coming out of the sea, one coming out of the land. Now, there's different interpretations on the sea. Let me read a couple of these to you. Uh, it's, in, it's interesting they call it the beast because a dragon or a lion or a lamb, we know what that is. A beast could be a lot of different things. Exactly. I, 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 as a person, could be a beast called a beast because I am mean and angry and do evil things. Yeah. 
And I think that's intentional. Yeah. The intention is we can't really identify exactly. So when you say, look out for the beast, what are you looking for? You don't really know. Yeah. At least in terms of, of easy appearances. When you see how it acts, then you know what to look out for. And one of the things to tell us to look out for, look out for somebody who acts like whom? The lamb. The lamb, or if, if it's somebody who has authority over all the earth and the water, that sounds like God or somebody God. coming from yeah. God. Okay? Yeah. So throughout this, we're going to see this idea of it appears like this, it's really this. And in this case, the dragon has, has run out these two beasts he's giving his power to, one from the sea, one from the land. So one interpretation of that we can say is you can't escape it. If it was just on the sea, you escape the sea, you get to the land, you're safe. But once you get there, there's another beast, now you're caught. Okay. Um, another interpretation, because I, I'm going to, suggest and you can't prove it but what makes sense to me that this is referring to at least in the time it's being written is you have a power that comes from two different directions and that you can't escape and if you're saint john writing on the island of patmos being exiled there by the roman empire it's that earthly power of Rome that to me makes the most sense. Although what makes this important for us to understand is it doesn't limit it to that. So we could say, well, it is Rome, but then we have to say, well, what is Rome? At the time, Rome was a world power, completely powerful in this part of the world, that at this time was persecuting the Christians. Why? Because the Christians followed the person who had the title, one of those titles, as Son of God. And who do we say at this time had that title? Besides Christ. Who called themselves Son of God at this time? The Emperor. One of the titles of the Roman Emperor was Son of God. Because he was seen as the earthly progeny, not just of his parents, but of the divine gods of Zeus, or of uh, Jupiter, I guess it would be, Rome. So he's, he's a semi-divine person. Oh, yeah, but not of, not of the God that we know, but of the, no, the exactly. God of, of the... Right. So if, if, it's, if, that's, if that theory is correct, one of the things I think this can mean, there's different meanings for sea and land. If you were living in the Roman Empire at the time, that power, you saw that power coming in two different directions. If you were on the coast, you'd imagine, think of those movies you've seen, of those great armadas of Roman ships carrying all those soldiers and everybody's rowing because there's hundreds of men on the boat. All right, think Ben-Hur, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Where else do you see Rome coming to town? If, there's, if the power of Rome is coming, how does it come to your city? Well, there's, yeah, right, soldiers. Yeah, 
those long lines of, of battalions of Roman soldiers coming in with the leaders, the general on the white horse and the standards and the spears and all that. So that's one possible idea. What we can say is that these are powers, earthly powers, rulers probably, seven heads with crowns. A crown signifies royalty or leadership or rule. Okay, um, and that they come from all directions, both from land and sea. Now, there are other interpretations of that sea where we're going to hear about the bottomless pit soon. We haven't heard about it yet, but one of the interpreters says that's a, it's an image of the fact that this beast, he gets his power from the devil, from the bottomless pit. That's one interpretation. That's yeah. So when you're referring to it as the interpretation of that it's the Roman Empire, which makes it sound much better than the beast or the dragon or whatever, but the, if it's seven heads and you refer to one with that appears to be the, the wounded lamb, and there's six other ones, when you have one thing with seven different heads, they don't always cooperate with each other, right? Right, and that, so that's one possibility is that this is, you have a, a sort of a freakish creature because when you have more than one head, there's no true unity. And that's one interpretation that this... And that would be their weakness. Well, that's a weakness. The main weakness is where they get the power from. And, but he doesn't have a lot of power left, though. When he came down defeated... How much power did he have? Well, does it sound powerful? The beast? Well, when, when you say it's coming from all directions, but it's a human thing at the Roman Empire, yeah, they but they fell eventually. So I guess they weren't that powerful. Exactly. But at the time, they looked like Rome will never fall. Right? Uh, at the time, they, it looked like Rome was going to live forever. Okay. And yet, in just a couple centuries... They're going to start to be wiped out, even though they had everything. And it's interesting. Why did, if anybody here studied history, why did Rome fall? They were too spread out. I mean, they were everywhere. What's that? Uh, it was like decay. Yeah. On the inside out. Okay. So there was that moral decay on the inside out. Some would say, they see that happening in our own country these days. There's that moral decay. There was the idea of them always trying to stretch their power farther, therefore stretching it thinner. And because what did they want to do? They wanted to rule the world. Ultimately, with complete power, including the power to live or die. Right? Remember the those those scenes you've seen in the in the gladiators are fighting? And the one has the spear over the other one who's on the ground, and he's given up. Where does everybody look? To the emperor. Right. What's he going to do? Thumbs up, thumbs down. Exactly. Thumbs up, thumbs down. The power of life and death. Okay. Who would we acknowledge as the power of life and death? God. 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 So you see how there's always going to be this imitation a false imitation, because imitation is always false, but the appearance of complete authority, even over life and death. But wasn't the church already established in Rome at this time? 
well, when you say established, it was there. And depending which emperor was there or how focused he was on the Christians, it was either, either at best marginalized and ignored, but still illegal, or actively persecuted. So, for example, if you read the Every Day We Have the Lives of the Saints that you can read every day, there's two names you'll hear more often than others. One is Diocletian, um, and another one is Decius. Decius is, is, is interesting because he only ruled for a couple years. I think it was 250 and 251. But hundreds or thousands of our martyrs that we know that were killed were killed under Decius. So he was one of those that really tried to wipe out the Christians. Why? Because he saw them as they had a power of, from his perspective, deception. Right? People were leaving the Roman gods and paganism, and tied to paganism is the worship of whom? The gods and the emperor. The emperor. So that tying together, keep that in your mind, that in the Roman system, the emperor is tied to the gods. It's not church and state like we think about it. So honoring the emperor politically is the same as honoring him spiritually, and spiritually is the same as honoring him politically. It's why the Christians could not offer incense to the idols or to the emperor, because they could only honor Christ. Remember when, when Jesus was um, talking to Pilate before his crucifixion? What did Pilate want Jesus to say? What do you want him to acknowledge? Well, that he was king of the Jews. Well, he, he wanted he wanted you to say he wasn't. That he wasn't. Right. And so, what what do the the when when the um, the chief priests go to Pilate to 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 get Jesus condemned to death? What do they say? We have no king but Caesar. Caesar. So they betrayed, they blasphemed to betray Christ. So that's always going to be, in, in the view of the scriptures, we're going to have two different ideas of who's in charge, and you can't have more than one. If you're the Roman emperor, you cannot acknowledge another emperor, another son of God, to whom people will give allegiance. You give Offer incense to Caesar, or if you're not influence of Christ, you've got to be killed. We can't have both. If you're a Christian and Christ is the Son of God and God is the only power, you can't offer incense to the false one. So it's always going to be a, a, a choice, one or the other. You can't worship both. Remember Jesus said you can't have two masters. You'll hate the one and despise and despise or love the other, or you'll love the one and hate the other. You can't have two. So it's always going to be which is the one we're giving our authority to. And that's the choice that John is now setting up or describing in his vision. And what's the purpose of all of this? Everything from the whole book, you could say, but especially of verses 1 through 10, 
that last sentence. And here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Now, endurance implies two different things. If you're enduring something, what are the two things it's implying? Endurance? Yeah. If you have to endure something, what are two things that, that have to be? We have to be strong. You have to stay the course. Why? Why do fail? Because there is going to be a victory or defeat. So you're enduring because at the end of it, if you don't endure, you're defeated. If you endure, you're victorious. Okay? So one of the things that endurance requires is one of two different endings. If you endure, you win. If you don't endure, you lose. Okay? What is the other thing that endurance implies? If I'm enjoying my day versus enduring my day, what's different about those two? Having fun versus just getting along. And if I'm just getting along, what does it imply? If I'm enduring my day. Well, you could be miserable enduring the day. In fact, it, it, it requires, if I'm enduring it, I have to be suffering. We don't say, oh, I'm having a wonderful time. I'm enduring this beautiful day. We don't say it because it doesn't make sense. Enduring only makes sense when you're suffering. Okay. If I'm enduring something, two things are required. One, that I'm suffering at the time. But two, I'm suffering in order to be victorious at the end. Because if I don't endure, I'm going to lose. And does the suffering have to be a long time? Three and a half years. We're back to now, three and a half Not years. literally, okay? But that's halfway. In other words, it's limited. It's not divine. It's not a full completeness. It's, it's a half, it's that halfway point. Um, but you have to endure, we heard this already, till the end. Stay the course. Stay the course. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. And then I'll, I'll make mention this and we'll have to wrap up here. Authority was given over every tribe and people and tongue and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb that was slain. So it's going to look like Everybody's worshiping, but then it has a little qualification. Well, not quite everyone. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world of the Book of Life. Now, our Calvinist brothers and sisters, you'll see there's the predestination. See, the name was written before. We're going to say that this was written in that way to show that not only if you endure, if you're one of the few, you're not one of the everyone, you're one of the few, Why is that important? Because you're on the side, number one, of a lamb that was slain and yet lives. And long before all this ever happened, those who are with him, their names were written long before. In other words, it's not about predestination. We see it as um, really establishing who the real authority is versus a fake authority. 
Where were you reading that from? That's verse uh, uh, eight and uh, sorry, seven and eight. Okay. And then really quickly, I'll go back and I'll make this point quick and then we'll wrap up. If you go back to verse two, it was like a leopard, uh, feet like a bear's, mouth like a lion, right? Mm -hmm. um, on the one hand, you could say, well, it's all big, ferocious, scary. Those are all top, you know, peak feeders. Um, so the most powerful, but another interpretation, if I can find it here. Um, I can't find it, but it, what it, what it refer, oh, here it is. Um, the kingdom of the Greeks is signified by the leopard. The Persians are signified by the bear, the Babylonians signified by the lion. The Antichrist, who will come as a king of the Romans, will rule over them and destroy their emperors, empires. In other words, that these are other earthly empires. That's one interpretation that you're seeing that this is, again, earthly power in seemingly powerful empires, all of whom end up getting defeated by Rome eventually and, and ultimately. And then we know that Rome ultimately is going to be defeated. But right now, it looks like it's more powerful than all of them put together. So again, no particular identification. It doesn't say it is Rome. It's not Rome. What we do know, we're not living in the Roman Empire, so we would say, well, we don't have to worry about it. We want to worry, though. We want to be not worried. We want to be aware of any earthly power that looks, well, I should put this way. Yeah, that looks like it offers what divine power can only really give. Because that we want to only look to God for any real authority and power. Yes. What's that? I did climb up my leg. <laughs> what did? The squirrel. Oh, see, the squirrel says, yeah, this is good. That's an orthodox squirrel. There you go. I like my that. squirrel. <laughs> That's the one I stayed. Oh, he's still standing there. Hi, honey. Okay. <laughs> he wants to come to Bible study too. <laughs> I'll bring him next time. Good boy. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to have to leave it there. Father, um, did you make a decision? Are we going to continue the rest of the summer? We're going to take a break. Actually, this will be the last one. Okay. I apologize I didn't send that out, but this is the last one until September. We'll pick this up back okay. in September. Okay. Do you get the emails from the church? I do. Okay, so keep an eye on those. And uh, once we get to late August, be looking out for when the schedule on that is. So did we finish chapter 13? No, we only did no. one beast. We're going to do both beasts. We only got one beast. Well, we could skip a beast. <laughs> No, we got it all about him. Because <laughs> we don't have to worry about him. That's the point. Okay. Don't worry, be happy. Thank you. Have a good summer. Thank you, everyone. Have a good summer. Good to see you all. Have a good summer. Everyone. Thanks, everybody. Blessings. Bye. Same to you. Bye bye. Yeah. Bye. See you, Father. Bye bye. <laughs>